What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Dave Bray, and we are here with another exciting episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the War Room Mastermind, which I never plug because I'm the worst salesman ever. My Facebook got hacked, so I can't even talk about anything I do anymore, so we're going to sponsor the podcast episode today. And uh, Sam actually came and spoke to the War Room two days ago, so you would have already gotten to meet this guy and gotten an actual presentation on what we're going to talk about today if you were in the group, so you should check it out, Knuckleheads. That's the sponsorship. That's, yeah, that's how I run ads. So there you go. Does that fit kind of the narrative for the my style that we were talking about earlier? <laughs> anyway, Sam Wiegert, ladies and gentlemen, is the guest today. And if you don't know who Sam is, you're in luck because this is actually really cool. So Sam is, there's a lot of ways you could describe him, but he owned at one point six martial arts studios he just sold several of them but he still owns a few he's done everything from top to krav maga taekwondo aikido but that's not really why we're on the podcast today what we're on the podcast to talk about today is co-living and essentially how you can take a house that should make let's say eighteen hundred dollars and make it make six or seven thousand dollars legally and it's really cool cool enough that I got a deal from a wholesaler that I normally would just be like, delete on Tuesday. And instead I was like, what's the ARV on that? What's the floor plan? Like, can you get me the actual floor plan? The pictures look good. I like this area. I really like this area. And I'm probably going to share my screen halfway through this podcast and be like, what do you think, Sam? Is this one worth pursuing? So there's my intro. This is, uh, this is a really cool idea, a really cool concept that I know not as much as I thought I did about and I'm excited to dig in. So, Sam, welcome to the show, buddy. Dude, it's an honor. And it was an honor to talk to War Room. Just a great group you have there and all genuine people. So thanks for the opportunity to talk to them on Monday. That was so fun. Got to go deep. Got to present on co-living. And yeah, just excited to be here, man. Take this wherever you want to go. But thanks, thanks for inviting me on. It's an honor. Yeah, thank you very much. Now that we're, we mentioned that martial arts briefly before we started recording even... You mentioned that was actually where you got started in the entrepreneurship journey. How did you get into owning a studio like like martial arts in general? I'm just curious about that before we dig into the real estate side, because that's uh, like owning a studio itself is not the normal path that people go on. And I would say it's probably not like the best business in the world to be in. It is a very people on people one of the one of the things about the martial arts business if i could use that term martial arts business because i ran schools i had staff members we had leases to pay staff members to pay it's just that you don't sell anything really it's not like you sell a widget that someone can be like this is worth this much you sell like a relationship mm -hmm. sell a feeling of progress and so for those reasons it made me very good at soft skills like very good at like emotional skills and helping people. And it gave me like a good coaching background. And why I talk fast is because I coached a lot of kids in martial arts and to keep kids attention is there's a certain amount of speed and dynamicness you have to have. So it gave me a lot of great skills, but I, I actually, I'm one of eight siblings. So my parents decided to have a big family. They decided to homeschool all of us in this town called Amherst, Virginia. It's 2000 people. Average income is like 22,000 dollars per year. It's, it's a small town and, uh, and not a high income town. And I was the one that just had a lot of energy. And my mom drove by this school one time. She drove by the shopping center and on the outside of the building. It said self-control. And I remember my mom came home and was like, Sam, I've got something for you. So I was just like always, she would always say I'm bouncing up the walls and all this stuff. So she signed me up 
and I took to it. One of the great things about martial arts, if anybody's considering it, it's I highly recommend it. I just so recommend it because I had these martial arts instructors that became like father figures to me. They became like mentors to me. And I would not be here, even in business, even in real estate, without their guidance and encouraging me to learn and grow and become a good black belt, become a black belt leader is what we called it, learning to become a black belt leader. And so I learned and I grew and I was 15 years old when my instructor pulled me aside. I'd been training at that point for probably two to three years, three years, two and a half, three years. My instructor just said, hey, man, I'm burnt out. He didn't say, hey, man, we didn't use man. We used like, sir. And, but you basically, he said, I'm burnt out. I yeah. think that you have the ability to run the school as long as your parents can give you a loan to buy it from me. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I want to take your parents out to lunch and see if they'll loan you enough money to buy the school. And it was not a lot of money. We're talking like $15,000, $20,000. My parents were not wealthy. And they came up with the cash. They saw this as a huge opportunity for me. They gave me 15 grand, I think it was, and I was 15 years old and I took over this school and I was the middle of eight kids, didn't get a lot of attention out to prove to the world that I could be somebody. <laughs> Let's go. So I worked my ass off, bro. And that's the best thing that instructor did before he left to go fish professionally. He wanted his dream was always to bass, like pro bass fish. He said, I'm going to hire you right. a business consultant. And he did. And it was the best thing ever. So I, he left me with a business mentor that taught me systems and management and people skills and hiring and firing, et cetera. And it was really beautiful. So that's a long story short on how I got started and how I got into that game. Man, I don't know who is crazier in that scenario. The guy who thinks selling his business to a 15 year old is the right move. The parents who think lending the 15 year old five, 15 grand is the right move or the 15 year old who thinks buying a business on his parents' money is the right move. But I love every part of it. That's awesome. But before we get in any further, you run a podcast and a community and you talk to people and you've taught jujitsu or not jujitsu, but martial arts and you interact with humans regularly and you do co-living, which effectively means rent by room and you've had a lot of roommates. And so you do a lot of interacting with people on a daily basis and you're freaking homeschooled. How does homeschool people don't know how to talk to people. Come on now. What? I was homeschooled too. I'm just bust your balls. I just, I heard that my whole life. Everybody's You're like, You're not homeschooled. There's no way you were homeschooled. I was like, yeah, yep. Yeah. All K through 12, except for one semester. I thought I was going to go play football and that was the only way to go play football. And then I hated school so much. I was like, nope, not worth it. I'm not coming back next semester to actually play football. So I made it through the baseball season and I was like, fuck this. I'm out. Went and played rugby instead, which is why I. When I thought that you were a rugby guy, when I Googled the wrong photo the other day, I was like, oh, dude, we've got something in common. And you were like, that's not me. That's some far off cousin. And I was like, damn it. It's like one in the morning. <laughs> like, anyway. That can but relate to you hating, like hating school and going back to homeschool. Like my parents would, when I would get like seriously out of hand, my parents would be like, we're going to put you in school. And I'd be like. Please don't. And I would straighten. I would straighten the f up. Like that was their threatening. <laughs> Put me in a regular school with real hours. We're like, but it was great. Homeschooling so great for. I think you're great. I didn't know you were homeschooled, man. That's actually badass. It's a, a lot of self motivated homeschoolers because yeah. you have to be. 
or else you get, at least I had to be with eight kids. Like my mom was like, yeah, if you don't, yeah. if you cheat, cause here's the answer book, you're going to be digging ditches the rest of your life. And that's the only job you'll ever be able to get. So don't cheat with the answer book right next to the math book. <laughs> okay, mom. <laughs> oh man. I got caught cheating once and it was with math and it's probably my favorite story ever because I was really good at math, but I was the kid who I never showed my work because I could do it all in my head. So I was like, I was that, like I, I got asked to be like the president of the math club the first, that one semester I was at the school and I was like, no, not that, no, not my thing. But uh, so my mom used to get so mad at me for not showing my work. I didn't know how to show my work because I the way I did the math in my head wasn't the way they taught you how to do the math. So I couldn't make that connection. I'd get the answer, but I didn't know how to show the work. So I stole the answer book. I had done the test. I have the answer book just because it showed the work and I'm filling in the work with the answers, but the answers are already done. I get caught cheating a third of the way through and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm using it for the answers or like to show the work. The answers are already here. Like you can check all the answers if you want, but I'm literally just using this to show the work because you guys are going to get the, like they were marking the questions wrong if I hadn't shown the work. And I'm like, that's the only thing I'm using this for is the work. Cause I don't know how to do the work. <laughs> so that's stupid. Like, this is so dumb. That's really, oh my God. But Oh yeah, no. Anyway, we could do a whole podcast episode. I'm sure on all the ribbing we got about public school and homeschool. And I'm like, Dude, all the guys I know, for the most part, that were homeschooled, have done really well. There's some oddballs for sure, but okay. Yeah. You go back to your 3,000-person high school. Yeah. Let's go back to your graduation. I'll find some weirdos, too. Whatever. My, my, parents, <laughs> my parents did this great. To answer your question directly, because it, it is, man. Like I got accused of that, and I was not socially adept growing up by any stretch of the imagination i was introverted i would have been the awkward yeah. kid for sure my wife still calls me at parties dude like when i'm good at like presenting and stuff but at parties or if i'm like with a big group of people my wife is like you're like an awkward teenager man you don't know what to say you don't know what's appropriate you're like I'm that guy thing. that's still me dude <laughs> i always take it way too far yeah yeah i could see that i could see that they're my like parents did a good like, job bro, of you, like putting the line was back there yeah I was just going to say my parents did a good job of putting me around other people, like other mentors. Like they did not hoard the homeschooling to themselves, which I thought was really smart now as an adult. They would be like my martial arts instructor, great case in point. They're like, hey, part of the reason we want you to learn from him is because we want you to we want my, our son Sam to see you as a mentor. And they would do that times like like I was in 4-H club. They're like, we like this 4-H club because like the guy, he's like this great guy and he can mentor you and he can cook. And so it takes some humility to do to put your kids and be like, we don't know everything to teach you. Learn from this guy. And that's what they did. And dude, it was so smart. They did it with a lot of my siblings. And we just grew up with all these adult mentors. Because one of the great things about homeschooling is you're not just around people in your age group. You're around younger people. You're around older people. You're around like this multi-generational kind of concept. And like, you just learn more that way. You just do. So it was super valuable. I wouldn't trade yeah. it for, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So valuable. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, the, I'll never forget, like, the thing that set it in stone for me was, aside from like the weird realization that if you're incredibly good at math and really not great at English, like I was, you knock all your work out in math. And then you sit there twirling your thumbs 
And then when you're struggling in English, you're like, hang on, can we have more time? And that was like, like weird disparity that like on homeschooling, it's like I could do my entire week's worth of math on Monday and then spend all week on whatever I needed to do on English. And it didn't matter how I split out the time. And I'm like, that's where like you balance back out, which you don't get that in public school. But then the other side was like, I played baseball that semester and I was varsity and I played with all the cool kids. And I, I pitched, I caught, I played center field. I was not a stud, but I was decent. I knew all the varsity players, whatever. And I distinctly remember like walking up to sit with the pitcher in the, I was the catcher. We had a good relationship on the field. I pitched it with him. I played center, whatever. I simply remember walking up to sit with him at lunch and like I sat down and everybody just stared at me. Not a word went silent. And then it was like, someone leaned over and was like, what are you doing? This is where the cool kids sit. And it was like, oh, hang on. We're only cool when we're on the baseball field. Got up and this is weird. Anyway, so total random tangent. Couldn't resist. Not too often you get another homeschooler on the podcast and you get to ramble on and on because it is becoming much more popular these days amongst entrepreneurs to homeschool their kids. And I think that it's a actually a really viable option that it's nice to bust the stigma on it to see two people who have social skills and run podcasts, be able to have a conversation about, Hey, we, we turned out. Okay. That being said, this 15 year old takes over freaking martial arts. We are still in our thirties, David. The jury is, who knows? Maybe we crack when we're 40, 45. I'm being playful, but no. Yeah. Valid. Very valid. Yeah. So you take over a martial arts gym and then you grow to, six of them. At what point in this journey do you get into co-living? When I had my second martial arts school was in Charlottesville, Virginia. I bought a three bedroom, three bath condo. And it wasn't called co-living at the time. It was really just me buying this place because it was the right thing to do. It was $67,000. I was a big saver because my parents like legit doomsday prepped for Y2K. So it was around that time. And we had guns, we bought this house, we had a wa- we had wood burning hot water here. We could geek out about Y2K. Like I know how to doomsday prep. We had a full basement of all the vacuum pack stuff and the five gallon buckets. We were eating five gallon buckets for the next 10 years. After 2000. <laughs> but anyway, that, that taught yeah. me, the reason I bring that up is that taught me to save and put money away. And yeah, it was a really valuable experience actually, even though it was stressful. But so I was a big saver. I bought this little condo. And I lived in one room. I was running my second martial arts school at the time. I lived in one room and I just rented out the other two rooms. And at that point, we call that the common term for that is house hacking. And really house hacking is just yeah. what I've come to know is it's a way for people to reduce their expenses, live on less, live for free, even make a little bit of money to live in it. So that's what I did. I think I made a hundred bucks a month, but I live for free kind of thing. And that was a pretty cool experience for me. I didn't think anything of it, but that was Keep in mind, I grew up with eight siblings. We lived in three bedrooms in our house. So it wasn't, it was like three or four boys to a room sometimes. So it wasn't, I was not a stranger to living with people that didn't seem offensive to me. I didn't care that was happening. It was fine. So that's where I learned about house hacking, fell into it, just had the extra rooms and didn't need them. And, but then I moved like a year or two later to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I bought this house and how co-living was birthed in my mind was like, a banker friend. I, so I did the same thing. I had a couple of roommates. I even actually put up a wall, added a closet and made a half bath, a full bath so that I could rent out one more room. I didn't think I was like starting any, anything new. 
I just was like, I had some extra space. Nobody used the living room. I traveled a lot. I worked a lot is the truth. I was running these martial arts schools and building that business. And I just had one of my ba good banker friends. He worked for SunTrust at the time. And he's just said, hey, man, like how much are you renting that house for? And I was like, if I count myself as a renter, I'm renting it for $28.50. And he was like, I thought, he's, I knew you were probably getting good cash flow on it. That house would only rent for $1,300 a month if you rented it to a single family. And I didn't know a lot about real estate or the cash flow bit at that point. I was just starting to get introduced to Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad and all those con these concepts. And it just, but it did struck, it did hit me like I'm doubling the rent by renting out by the room. That is pretty cool. And so I went on this little splurge and you know this, David, like you can buy a primary residence every year legally. So I would just live in a home for yep. a year, go back to my banker and be like, I want to buy a new home. And he'd be like, why? I thought you just bought one. I'd be like, I can get 5% down or three and a half percent down on another one. So I want to buy another one. I'm going to turn my old one into a rental. That's completely legal. So I just did that as I was building my business once a year, every year. And I would go from four rooms to five rooms to six bedrooms to seven. And I just kept expanding it and creating systems to fix all the little problems that I'm sure anybody listening to this is thinking about. Like, what about refrigerators? And how does everybody use the washer dryer? And how do tenants not kill each other? All, yes, those are all concerns. And there's systems and rules and leases and tenant restrictions that you have to put in place for this to work really well. But it worked. And I had this amazing experience. And it felt like homeschooling because I was like living with – when my wife met me, I was, had six roommates <laughs> in the house. And I was like, this is just normal. She was like, this is not really normal. So that's a little bit of the origin story of how I got started, how I fell into it. It was not my main gig. It was I was running martial arts schools, trying to build that business, but skimming money off the top, which is great advice for anybody that's doing well in life is to skim some money off the top and put it into real estate or put it or if you're all in on real estate, put it into something else to diversify. And I'm just really grateful for that advice because then COVID comes right 2020, 2020 and I forget, was it 2020, 2021? One of the years, whatever year COVID came and all my school shut down <laughs> for six months. And that Ooh. was a huge thing, right? Nobody wanted to come into a martial arts studio. Nobody. And I didn't care. I had schools in Virginia. I had yeah. schools in North Carolina. I had schools in South Carolina. And so boy, was I grateful that I had been skimming some off the top. I just think it's such a valuable lesson for anybody listening to take away is a little bit of diversification is good. At the very least, have a two-prong strategy. Maybe a three-prong strategy, but at the very least, a two-prong strategy. Yeah, that's smart for sure. And yeah, no, this is not normal to have six roommates. You say that until you see the amount of cash flow we're bringing in. And then you're going to say, oh, yeah, okay, babe, whatever you want to do. You're I want a wedding say, ring that's worth at least. <laughs> yeah, you're going to say that extra dining room, we don't really need it. Why don't we put a door there? That's that. That's the seventh bedroom. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, which leads to so the next question, obviously. So people are like seven bedroom house, like where are you? Are you buying a million dollar, two million dollar house to make this work? And we talked about this on Monday. So the answer to that, maybe, but potentially depending on where, what, how, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you're cutting up and changing floor plans and tweaking things. What are some of the unique ways that you are creating spaces to make this flow? Obviously, it's easier with floor plans, but just as a general rule, like you just said, the dining room. Can you give some examples of how you're creating spaces for 
additional income streams in these houses? Yeah, for sure, man. It's great. It's a great question. When you're looking for a co-living house, you're and one that would be great for co-living, you're really looking for square footage. So it's a matter of how big the house is. And so I'll give my little square footage formula that people can take away. If you find a 1500 square foot house, and I created this formula after looking at probably 400 houses and just needing, I needed like a little bit of a quick formula to be able to pick, to know when I'm just scrolling through Zillow, how many rooms this house could be, regardless of how many bedrooms Zillow advertises it as. I needed to know how many I could get out of it as a co-living investor. So I just found that 1,500 square feet means I can get four bedrooms out of that house. And then every 250 square feet I add on to that is an additional bedroom. And that that proved true in 99% of the cases. So 1,750 square feet was five bedrooms. 2,000 square feet was six bedrooms. 2,250 square feet was seven bedrooms. And that's pretty much proven true in all of my coaching and my advice as we've moved forward with this. To, that to be said, how do we take a three a house that's three bedrooms and turn it into seven? And the answer is really just... Yeah, you're looking for boxy spaces. So you're ta- you're adding doors. If there's a dining room and you're not going to use the dining room, you're going to add a door and you're going to add a closet. Now you might frame in a closet or you might go buy this thing called an armoire. And it's the thing in a hotel where you open it up and you hang your suit and you got the drawers on the bottom. We'll install those sometimes because they're cheaper, easier, and you could remove them if you needed to. So a lot of times we're looking for those spaces. As long as the kitchen and one additional room that we call the common space. Now that additional room could be a garage that you put carpet tiles down in and turned into like a mini game room, which we're starting to do that. That could be the common space. And then all you need is the kitchen and that common space and you're good. That's where people can work, can hang out, can eat, can sit on the couch. And every other space is basically available for a bedroom (laughs) is what it boils down to. If there's a, if there's a non-finished basement, great. Even if there's a finished basement, there's a second living room. Great. You're turning that into a bedroom. You kind of have to finagle it where there's open accesses to the main space, right? That's the harder part sometimes. But ultimately, you're turning every additional space, an office. You're putting a wall or a door and you're adding a closet. Same thing with downstairs, the office, the bonus room, a movie room, a game room. And no, you don't have to buy a $2 million house. You just need square footage. That's the biggest thing. It can be a – I have this concept I teach in co-living called nice enough. This is not a five-star luxury experience necessarily that you're trying to create. More what you're trying to create is work. The technical term is workforce housing. And that's like somebody who makes 30 to 60 grand a year, where are they going to live? And in Charlotte, to rent a studio apartment in a decent area, you're going to pay 15, 16, $1,700 plus utilities. So call it two grand. And so you're at four, you're at, Two grand with utilities or $24,000 a year just in your rent, right? And so someone who can't afford that or doesn't want to afford that has other options and that's co-living. That's, and it's becoming a really popular option because investors like me are starting to do it really well. We design. We actually professionally design the common areas. We make it clean. We make it quiet. We make it safe. We put individual locks on the door. So I'm going on a rant and a tangent, but to answer your question more directly, it's like, yeah, just look for additional space. And it's helpful to have homes that are like boxy as the only term I really know to use is like boxy, meaning like there's a lot of walls and it's already cut up already. It's a little older. Maybe it was built in the 80s and the 90s. It's not this like huge open concept floor plan that everybody wants now, right? Where it's like the living room flows into the dining room. It flows into the kitchen, flows into the office. It's like none of that, like those homes, they're harder because you got to put up more walls. But a lot of times you find those more boxy homes, a they sit on the market a little bit longer and B, 
they, yeah, they're like easier to just put up doors. So that's kind of how we look at it. All right. All right. Now you've got my wheels, my wheels really cranking, <laughs> really turning here. Yeah. Let me pull this thing up in a second. Let Dude, me let's pull do up it. the map. I've never evaluated a deal yeah, on a podcast, but let's freaking go. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm just pulling up a map so that I can show you where the house is. Not that necessarily matters, but I want to show you more like it's a corner lot and whatever. But okay. This is, corner, yeah, I've never done this before either. Just, because you can have more parking than corner lots if there's street parking yeah. and it's a corner lot. Like people can park in the driveway, of course, but they can also park on one street and the other street. It doesn't look like it's too overwhelmed on a corner lot. Let's go. Yeah. So this is, it is all of this. Nice. I see it. Yeah. And so, it. and you can, you can't get on the street with Google Maps, unfortunately, but it is this guy. The internet wants to be slow. Is but, it no HOA? Because uh, that is a factor in these homes, like not going into an HOA, just because no. HOAs can fight you on anything. No, there's no HOAs in Missouri that I've run into. So, okay. yeah. So it's this drive. I'd imagine it's wide enough. If not, I'll just take these out and make it wide enough for two abreast and you could fit two or three. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd probably just make it to where they just park on the grass right here. So no parking issues there, but yeah, so this is the bad boy. It is 2,800 square foot. So Let's by go. your math, nine. Yeah. Nine it's rooms. a three, three as is Yeah, They're They're asking for two hundo. And I asked the guy, his call on the ARV as is three ten. Who cares if you're going to do the co-living side of things. That's right. That's right. Uh, Let me so address, this little town. Let me address this one thing though, that yep. comes up and that is people will be like, because I know Ooh. this is coming up in somebody's mind. They're like, okay, you're buying this flip. And then if you convert it to all these bedrooms, like what what if what if you have to sell it down the road or you want to exit the asset? What do you do then? And this is it's a really common question I've started to get because people like they love the model and they want to use it. But they're like, how do I get out of this asset if it's got all these rooms and all these tenants? But what we're starting to see is there's actually a brand new marketplace and a company called PadSplit just created this. It's a marketplace for turnkey co-living spaces. So she gave me this example, PadSplit. I was on the phone with one of the reps and she gave me this example of this lady who bought this home, turned it into co-living, filled it up and then sold it for $300,000 more than she bought it for. She got a great deal and she did do some rehab to it. But part of the reason she got so much more for it was because she sold it to another investor who was just looking at the income. He wasn't looking necessarily at the house itself mm. as much as it was like, what am I making on? So anyway, I wanted to address that because it's a big question I get. There's yeah, more of a commercial sell it evaluation. To another investor. It's, a, it's an income-producing asset. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I, I, I saw this thing come across. Normally, I wouldn't even look at it because it's in decent shape as far as like your normal wholesale. It's outdated. It's got some updates and needs some yard work. But it's got a little – it's already got like a – actually, I think that's the neighbors maybe. But it's got some yard – it's room for a tiny home or a shed or whatever, but subfloor exposed fireplace. But as far as a wholesale goes, like it's in pretty good shape. Some a little bit of water damage. It needs updates, but it's not falling apart. Yeah, I don't normally look at these because outside it doesn't. It's not in terrible condition. So as a flip or a burr, there's not as right. much wiggle room on it. But it's it's exposed subfloor, right? So like. It needs updates, some water damage, but like it's in, it needs updates, but it is yeah. not. It's decent. As far as like a listed wholesale, like it's just outdated. I don't really know what this room space is. That's a need to see it. It looks like they just added a space over 
what was roof at one point. Yep. Attic or something. Big master suite. Yeah. Add on. Yeah. It looks like they popped the roof at one point. Yes. Kitchen, bathroom, made updates, but nothing a contractor can't fix, but it's a big, and they think the ARVs at 310 is 200. I looked on whatever you recommended, like just rent by room and city. Yeah. And I saw one for anywhere from five to 750. Yeah. If you got nine of them in there, even at the 500, you're looking at 4,500 and obviously a mortgage on something like that is nothing. But yeah, let's, I don't know. You're hitting the two and there's rule in real estate that says you should be able to rent. There's this rule in real estate that says you should be able to rent a home for 1% of the purchase price every month. So if it's like it's $200,000 house, you should be able to rent it for two grand a month. And what we're finding in the co-living world is that you can start hitting the 2% rule, which is meaning if you buy a $200,000 house, you can hit that four grand, which is per month if you rent it out on the co-living model. And so it is, it's really cool, man. I like it. I think that your biggest thing on, the, on a home like that is just going to be to lay it out in the right way. And then also just to make sure that you have the right number of bathrooms that you want. So was it three full baths or was it two and a half? It says three, three, but I'd have to actually look, but it's written as though it's three full. There's a bedroom to bathroom ratio that I do think is important. And there's a little bit of debate, like what's, what's the right bedroom to bathroom ratio. And in my company, I try to keep no more than three bedrooms sharing one bathroom. And in most of my houses, a lot of times I'll have just two bedrooms sharing one bathroom. You can always charge more for private baths. You can always charge more for bedrooms that share less with other bedrooms, if that makes sense. And as long as you don't cross that three to one threshold, so nine to three is actually, that would work as long as people have access to those, to all those, as long as like two of those aren't just tucked away in one room so that seven bedrooms have yeah. to share the other one. Like as long as that's not the case, then that could really work. And the parking, I agree with you. You could add gravel parking on the, if it's not an HOA, you could add gravel parking on the right or the left. They could park on that street as long as it doesn't have that HOA. So those are the big things you need to look for is what's the layout? What are the bathrooms? What is that going to look like? To add? Do I need to add some? Do I need to? Sometimes it's just adding a door so that more people can access that. If it is tucked away in one room, we'll make it a Jack and Jill or we'll add, add another door to the hallway so everybody can access that, that bathroom. I was just coaching a wholesaler on that the other day and telling him to open up a bathroom so more people can actually use it. So it's really about that. And then we also assign the bathrooms. That is key. We've learned that assigning things is good. Hey, room one, room two, room three, you only use this bathroom. This is room room th- four, five, and six. You only use this. Having as much of that structure, finding the deals is really not that hard. Even getting them, to, people can wrap their head around, okay, I get it. You're creating as many bedrooms as you can and you're renting them. Like, And it solves affordable housing or workforce housing. Yes, it's the running of it, the back end, the, those systems are going to be the harder, more difficult part. Totally doable, but that's where the work comes, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's a very unique setup, but it's cool because, like you said, there's Pad Split and there's a couple different companies that are helping people do this. There's obviously you and your coaching and mastermind that are running through this. Yeah. So it's not just like the house hack where people are like, I'm going to rent to roommates and nobody has any idea how to do this. We're all guessing right. anymore. It's like becoming legitimate tech operation slash there's a market for it. And yes. 
actually, that's a lead in for a good question. You led off on Monday with some just stats about like how co-living's been popularized or being popularized as an option. Could you, you care to share a little bit about where you think like the future of co-living might be going? Yeah, I think it's important for people to realize why co-living is becoming really popular. And you mentioned those tech companies, man. So I'll address that because these tech companies are getting huge evaluations, $110 million valuation on its last round for pad split, $400 million valuation for Bungalow, which is another big. So these are like Airbnb kind of type companies. They don't own the real estate, but they're trying to be the tech behind placing tenants in these rooms. And they're just seeing tremendous demand. Pad split just passed over 7,000 rooms. They're growing like super rapidly. I don't know how many bungalows at another few thousand rooms. And there's tons of companies that have hundreds of rooms. My one of my company included, we're very niche to Charlotte and Asheville, North Carolina. We're helping people invest in co-living all around the United States and either do it on their own or we're connecting them with property managers who can help them. But the reason it's taking off in popularity is just, I'll give an example. I was in Miami-Dade County. I was at a seminar. And I was talking with one of my buddies who's not really a real estate investor, but he was just, we were just chatting and he was saying that in the year of 2022, rents increased in Miami-Dade County. And don't quote me the exact number, but I think it was like 24%. It was like number six in the nation in terms of all the counties in the nation. They track how much rent increased and it was like 20. And look, incomes didn't go up 26%, but rents did. And so when you have this despair, it's why the rich get richer and the poor get poor is because ex when expenses start to rise faster than incomes rise, if they both rose at exactly the same rate, it really wouldn't make a difference because everybody would just be able to afford all the new, more expensive shit. But, you, but they can't. And the reason they can't is because incomes, especially for lower and middle class, are not rising at the same rate as inflation and expenses and rent and all this stuff. So what that forces people to do is look for alternative housing options. And it is sad. Like I had someone call me out the other day on Facebook or whatever. They were like, this only works because of our crappy economy and you're taking advantage of it. And so my comeback to that is, yes, I don't disagree. Co-living is on the rise because affordable housing is an issue. We are 7 million affordable housing units short in the United States right now. 7 million. 23% of Americans spend more than 50% of their income on rent. 23%. That's a lot. And so we're, yeah. we're spending, spending. And so when you look at that, you realize there's other options needed. So yes, this is a play that's maybe speaking to that need a little bit, but as an investor, like I can't solve that issue except for doing something like this. I can create win-wins. And so this is a win for investors. You're getting higher cash flow. You're helping solve workforce and affordable housing. And what I'm trying to get people to realize, like this is the biggest thing I would want listeners to take away. Living in co-living homes can be fun. It's awesome. Like I'm not saying that's a, it turns into a frat house or a party house or anything like that because we target working professionals. We do not allow parties. Like it is, but it can be safe, quiet, and clean. You can live, it can be in a great neighborhood. And I lived in these homes for 13 years. I officiated the weddings of one of my housemates because I just got to know them. And you don't have to hang out with anybody in your home. I could be in my room or be in the common area and just be, have my headphones on. But if I want to, there's community there. And so I have this vision for people will one day want to live in a co-living community more than they would want to live on their own. And in Europe, this is just how it is, man. It's commonly accepted in Europe that you're going to live more in a community type space. And things are more expensive in Europe. Like it's just, that's just how it is. Taxes are 40, 50% in Europe. 
everybody, there's not as much disposable income. And this may piss off a lot of your listeners, but like we're headed in that direction. Like I, I, you can hate it. You can like it, or you can just be like, this is the direction I feel like we're going at least. And I'm going to ride that wave. And so I really believe co-living is a way to ride that wave as an investor in win and also produce a product that is valuable, man, valuable for people and is really winning for people too. And so we get people in our communities. They love it. I've had people stay seven, eight, nine years, man. It's great. Yep. I love it. And I love the idea. I love when I hear like people like, oh, you're just exploiting whatever. And it's, I didn't cause the macroeconomics. I'm, I bought a house and I'm offering someone a place to live. Get over it. What do you want? You want me to give it away for free so that I go homeless too? Sorry, but you could take advantage of the situation and make a little money yourself and also offer people an affordable option. To your point, it, it is a growing thing. There are issues there. It's a good option. You're providing a service and a community is huge. A lot of people love that. Like I, I remember living in the barracks and I was in the Marine Corps and I was like, man, I can't wait to get out of this, go live on my own, have my own place, have an apartment, blah, blah, blah. And then I got out of the barracks and I never roommate anymore. Well, first it was like no roommate anymore because I got promoted. And then it was like, now I'm out of the barracks. And then it was like, I miss the barracks. There was always something to do. You just walk down the hallway and knock on people's doors or go out to the common area and play ping pong, pool, drink a beer, whatever, hang out with people. And then you go back to your room. And that was nice. So there are definite perks to the idea that if you have some people you get along with in the space, like being lonely is not fun. So that little bit of community option without having to leave your house and then the ability to be like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to walk to my room. Pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, you get it, man. It's, it is. It really is. We're social animals at the end of the day. We're social creatures at the end of the day. And we need Even the some introverts. of that connection. Some of us more than others. Some of us need it more than others. And it's, uh, it's nice because if you, cre- if you do a co-living home correctly where you have locks on each bedroom door and – Everybody's got their labeled cabinet space, their labeled refrigerator space, their labeled laundry space, their assigned parking space. If you do it in a systematic way, then it gives you the option of being, like you were saying, like being social if you want to, or like, I'm going to go in my room. I'm going to go in my room. That's where my TV is. And that's where my stuff is, it's my whatever. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out there and giving people that option at a fraction of the cost, 50% of the cost, 70% of the cost of what they would normally pay and utilities are included. So it helps people budget better. They don't, the electric's not going to go up and down. It's they pay one fee and they get everything is how we structure it. And I like it. I like it being structured that way. So yeah, man, you hit on a great point. It's, I've seen a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are in the military and one of the biggest things they miss about the military men is camaraderie, like my having that camaraderie. So this is absolutely, and I have a couple of, I have a couple of students who are doing the co-living things and making it more specifically about veterans. A couple of like veteran only houses, which is really cool that they're going that direction. So yeah, so many options to go for. Bet those are, bet those are fun houses. Yeah. They probably be part of them. (laughs) (laughs) Coming to a spot near you. In what? Yeah. (laughs) The military co-living. 
All right. So obviously we could go on and on. Like I could, you should start I could... military to millionaire co-living houses. Like that would be freaking badass. Promoted like oh, a show. Oh man. And like that, like you have to like qualify to get in. Let's go, dude. I want to be a part of that. I like, just thought about that. That's awesome. Oh man. But we're starting to see a lot of these niche, so we these kind of niche concepts take off. Actually, like one of my one of my buddies is doing like only entrepreneurs, like growth oriented entrepreneurs. So he calls it the growth house. His name is Jesse, and he's doing this in I think it's L.A. Don't quote me on the city, but he's he's doing this, and like you have to apply, and you get in, and he can charge a premium because it's like his people, and it's all his whole method is like his whole his whole stick is like. You become who you hang around. Don't you want to live with badass, cool people that are also entrepreneurs? And then the conversations in the living room, guess what they become about? Mastermind. That's badass, right? So you can take that approach if you want. It's a little little bit more work, maybe a little bit more difficult to scale, but still can work. That's what he tells you, but you're going to go visit this guy someday and you're going to realize that his L.A. growth house is just a freaking marijuana brewery. You can be like, psych, I meant grow house. Thanks so much. <laughs> He's like, hey, we do well. Jimmy lives here too you when he's trimming the bushes. <laughs> actually, that's actually a really cool idea. I, the Above this office is a four-bed, two-and-a-half-bath Airbnb that's 3,000 square foot. And... Now I'm like, now you've got my wheels turning. I'm like, what if I turned this into just a bunch of my local entrepreneur buddies just crashing with me? Probably do pretty well for myself. And then I'd work out of the office downstairs and they'd all leave whenever they wanted to entrepreneur. That's actually pretty cool. All right. We could talk all day. I know you got places to go. I love the co-living stuff. What are we missing? What have we not covered that we should? I think what someone might be missing around this strategy is just, it's still an investment. Like it's cool. And there are homes that are great for co-living and there are homes that are not great for co-living. So I get people ask me all the time. I had a buddy call me up and was like, man, I've got this two bedroom condo and I want to do co-living because you said it makes more money. And I was like, but it's only two bedrooms. Like it's not going to make that much more money than just renting out. It's going to be a little bit more hassle. So don't do it. Even three bedrooms sometimes. So I think what people are missing is that the this is a think of this as just a new way to live and it's up and coming people are starting to get more associated with it understand it a little bit more and it's i think what people originally think when i tell them that there might be eight people sharing a house is they're just like automatically their brain is like there's no way that's too much that would never work and what i tell people is that's also what people said about uber when you told them you were going to pick up a stranger and drive them to food lion downtown it's also what people said about Airbnb when you said you're going to rent your vacation house out to strangers who found you on some crazy app and not destroy your house. Like, so yep. th- it is working. It's working times thousands and thousands of rooms. So I just encourage people to dive into it a little bit more. They can follow my stuff. They can, they can check out pad split, like just start to be, this is what I call a blue ocean strategy. And I didn't come up with the blue ocean concept. The blue ocean concept is basically look, man, like if you go to a red ocean, it's that's like an investment strategy that everybody's trying to get a piece of the pie. And I use Airbnb as an example of a red ocean. Property managers charge you 25 to 30%. The good ones do. And then they've got, you've got these noise monitors. You're going to pay $20 a month for that. You've got your ring camera. You're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for this software, that software, the clean. Everybody's trying to get a piece of the Airbnb pie. And once it gets like that, it gets extremely competitive. To get the highest cash on cash, 
everybody should be looking for a blue ocean strategy. Where is the competition? Or as Wayne Gretzky said, I don't, I'm successful not because I skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going. And so co-living is a way of skating to where the puck is going economically, where I believe we're going, how people are choosing to live more. People are feeling comfortable with this. The debt has risen. All co college kids are coming out straddled with tons of debt. It will not all be forgiven. They might forgive some of it. They're not going to forgive all of it, right? And like we're going to have to pay that off somehow. And so in order to do that, we got to provide these other options. And so I'm a big believer in it. I walk what I talk. Now, I'm not living in a co-living house right now. My wife wouldn't let me, but I did for 13 and a half years. And so just I just encourage people to check this out, find out more about it, lean into it, see about providing some of this maybe in your own home, maybe see about house hacking your current home or becoming an actual investor in co-living because you are you can put your head to, down every night knowing I'm investing in something that actually does make a difference. I'm investing in something that actually does help people. So doing good by doing well, what a badass concept. And there's just, this is one of those things that truly, truly you are doing well by, and you as an investor are doing better. So I'm encouraging people to check it out, learn a lot more about it and just dive into it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's huge. And like you said, keeping an open mind, jumping in before it's too late. I'm definitely intrigued enough that I'm doing a little homework and obviously as you could maybe tell by the fact that I pulled a property up in the middle of the podcast and was like hey what do you think but I also have this is I'm house hacking my office right now with an Airbnb above it I've exactly. done two other house hacks like I I love this stuff house hacking and, and co-living and like that kind of strategy where you can live for free or damn near or cash flow or whatever is like my favorite way to get into real estate right I love it all right Sam favorite question everybody always has not really but where can people get a hold of you yeah dude instagram is the best place right now I'm probably mo i'm probably most active personally on instagram so at sam wegert w-e-g-e-r-t or every month or so i run these free challenges where people can like deep dive into this concept they're like okay i get this but i want to learn more we do an hour of training a day for five days we run so these five-day challenges once a month or so, and they can just go to scaleyourrealestate.com and they can register for a challenge if they want to learn more about that or just stay in touch with me personally as Instagram's best. But yeah, man, thanks so much for allowing me to be on and just kind of share a little bit about my story. And you have such a relaxed style. I love it. Thank you for just bringing me on and just going back and forth. It's really <laughs> great to get to know you. To be fair, I normally have a better looking studio and I'm like standing and there's a nice camera there and it's all like the professional lighting and everything. But the camera just so happens to be sitting half here and then the lens is at my house because I'm a nincompoop. So, you know, we're on the webcam today. So we're chilling great, in the chair. Whatever. Great. So, yeah, it works. The audio is the same and that's all people really care about. So, that's right. whatever. That's right. Well, it is what it is, but. Life's good. And Sam, this was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that you got to join me. And I'm glad that we got to hang out Monday, today. I'm glad we got to know each other. And I look forward to meeting you in person and Thank digging you. into the strategy a little bit more and hopefully being a, a proof source and pushing some people your way. Dude, I love it. David, thanks for the opportunity to be on, man. Wish you all the best. Yeah, absolutely, man. And anything I can ever do to help you, don't hesitate to ask. Yeah, dude, I won't miss. Same here. Same here. Let me know how that house works out. If you want a little help going deeper on it, if you get deeper into it, let me know. I'll help you out. I will. Absolutely, right. bro. Appreciate cool, you. Cool, man. God bless. Have a great day. Bye-bye.